Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Steve Brasso, and Guy Adami. On the big show tonight, U.S. home building surging to a 12-year high, but with uncertainty still gripping the markets and a recession looming. Could the proverbial wolf blow this house down? Then shares of Roku uh, sliding close to 14% today. We'll explain the latest plot twist in the melodrama that is the streaming wars. But first... The Fed cutting rates by a quarter point with its members divided on further action this year. Despite passionately opposing opinions both internally and externally, the markets ended mixed on the day. Did Chairman Jay Powell just thread the needle? Mm. Guy, thread the needle? Say? I mean, I don't know. If, well, let's put it this way. I think when he opened the door to another round of quantitative, another round of you know, getting the, the balance sheet, back up to where it was. To me, that was the reason why the market, the Dow went down 170 to basically unchanged on the day. So in that regard, maybe he said what the market needed to hear. And in terms of myself, you know, sometimes you have to be, you have to be confident in your views, but there's a fine line between being confident and dogmatic. And again, I've been bearish now for a month and a half, two months on the back of everything we've talked about. But when you see price action like we did on Monday, on a day where I thought the market was going to be down at least 300 Dow points, 3540 S&P handles was down 10. You have to at some point say, you know what, the market seems to want to go higher here. So I I think the only concerning issue was what Guy said, the balance sheet. That was concerning. But if you were in the camp where you wanted lower rates, you got it. If you were in the camp where you you didn't want extended lower rates, you kind of got that too. Uh So it was a little bit uh, of everything for somebody. And I think the market does move higher from here. Yeah, I mean, rates even moved higher today, which is extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, from the perspective of the equity market, I think the Fed nailed it. He did did everything he needed to do. And, you know, as cautious as you want to be, to Guy's point, if the market wants to move higher in the light of all of these things that you can create as a bear case, then the market's going to move higher. And so you look at stuff like the banks going higher today. You look at the cyclicals going higher today. Those are all very positive signs for this market. And I think it's really important that the Fed did say, hey, listen, if the data turns down, we are going to be there with with very strong response. And not only that, we understand the repo market was a mess. We will increase our balance sheet if we need to. So from the perspective equities, you got everything you wanted. Isn't that exactly basically what he said at various other points in time, that we're going to be data dependent, we'll do whatever it takes? I mean, yeah. it's, really not, well, it's really not any different. So what, what is the lens through which we're viewing Chair Powell today? Rel- relative to the market's right. expectations. Okay. So, so good question. And, and if you think about where we were in August with the S&P significantly lower from here, and we got a hawkish cut, what did the market do? Today is a victory uh, for a market that gets one more Fed meeting out of the way. I know it sounds insignificant, but um, for equity positioning overall, which in aggregate is one and a half standard deviations be below where it should be, um, when you've got all kinds of measures of, of at least positioning that I think say we're overweight bonds, I think the, the market was very interesting. For the Hawks out there, um, it's, it's tough because he didn't talk about the need 
to justify another cut. There really wasn't a lot in here for people. And that's why I would lean towards more of a hawkish, even though we have these dynamics with the money markets and, and what that could people interpret. Um, you, you have a case where I, I actually think that the Fed is, is probably more divided than people also think. I, I know that wasn't meaningful today, but I think as we get into the you know, December meetings, et cetera, I think that's important. But, but make no mistake, um, and it's interesting because I hear on this desk people actually willing to throw some applause towards the Fed, and, and that's not not something we've been getting. Yeah, but I think you have to with, with the reaction today. Now, who knows what happens tomorrow? Maybe the trade war increases. But if you look at what the market is telling you today, the market is pricing in movement on trade war and a Federal right. Reserve that will be yeah. somewhat accommodated. How do you short and, it? Though? I, I always ask you this question. How do you short a market where you still have trade war in the back pocket? We talk about this on this desk a lot with don't fight the Fed. And then you have the trade war. And then you have a dull market. So you don't want to short a dull market. You don't want to fight the Fed. And you also have a trump card in trade war. So it's almost impossible. Haven't we rallied on trade, though, Steve? I I get the sense that the market right now, I I get the sense that actually the the, the trade in your back pocket is, is something that, Probably three weeks ago, we kind of got a lot of that when they said we're getting back to the table and it looked like yeah. it wasn't as divisive. And, and, and ultimately, none of us really expect a, a formative material Still, trade deal anyway. You just said it. You just said many of us don't expect anything formulative or substantive. I, so right. If, and I so still it can't don't. Be, okay. Right. So I hear it can't you. be in the market yet. So if we all, we're all not so expecting. So you're saying you've got to be long no matter what here. I think you have to be long until you get the uh-huh. trade deal. And then I think that's the top in the market. Because China will never be as good after the trade deal because they're giving up something by the nature of a trade deal. Mm -hmm. And the U.S. doesn't have it anymore as a variable or a tailwind. So I think you've got to short the market once that trade deal comes out. So I'd argue with that. I mean, and again, I know you talked about this last night, I'm certain. But on a day where Federal Express is probably one of the biggest down days. Where were you last night? I was stuck, actually, on the helix yeah. of the New Jersey Turnpike. Okay. I put it on video, which you're more right. than happy to view. If no, you but I mean, we were, I, I was concerned. I just didn't know Friday what was night. going on. I, that was unfortunate. You're not that events. irresponsible. Anyway. That. By the right. way, the, you know, the roadway actually shakes when you're standing on it. It's quite I, actually, it's, it's sort of alarming. Disturbing, I would think. <laughs> so you're saying it's hard to argue with being long this so, you know, yeah, how, listen, U.S. Steel, I mean, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that, down 8% after earnings. Federal Express, a huge move to the downside. And you can say, you know, Federal Express specific, they've done it to themselves. But that's somewhat of a barometer, I would think, for how the economy is doing. And again, it all comes down to what's going on with the Fed. Do they have our backs? And maybe it is that simple. I find it hard to believe once again that this all works out you, well, but at least for today it did. Do you feel like we're getting the glimmers of how we set up for the fourth quarter of last year in terms of the earnings warnings that have come out so far? Nothing's changed. I mean, in terms of the warnings, they're all the, you know, again, earnings have been going, in my opinion, the wrong way, but you're getting this multiple expansion, which maybe makes sense in the light of rates being lower I, I, but and I, the Fed having our back. But there is this rotation that has gone on, which we saw with this quant quake we had last week from momentum into value, rotation into cyclicals. Quant quake. Quant quake. It's like it's similar in 2007. We had a quant quake as well. Quant-quake. This is very different than that, though. This was kind of more of a rotation out of those momentum names, which were your recession names, what I'm concerned about with the utilities and all of that, and into cyclicals. So let's think about what is that telling you? What does the market say? The market is saying, even if we have a recession, it'll likely be shallow. 
and the Fed will be there. And that's what the that's what this rotation is telling you. Whether you agree with it or not, that's what the market's doing. But, so that is what's different about where we were from a year ago, Mel, setting up into the fourth quarter. Because I don't think the market a year ago, um, which was starting to get concerned on credit concerns, had any idea the Fed was going to pivot this low. So as we talked about the implied P.E. on a market where actually credit spreads have stayed intact, but rates have gone lower means your P.E. multiple goes higher. Um, the expectations for fourth quarter earnings are awful right now. And in fact, we went from we, we basically were looking at 15 to 20 percent EPS growth a year ago to two and a half percent where everybody knows right now most of that is supported by buybacks uh, and other things that are creative to, to EPS. So um, I think it's all about positioning. And again, I would go to uh, where equity investors were a year ago is a very confident place. Uh, so lower rates and lower expectations this time around will prevent that kind of sell-off, even if we do hear an avalanche of... of I I agree with that. And and again, a Fed that will be there that also talked about risk in the context of the market. That's the thing that they talked about being there for. Isn't that a good... I mean, aren't those huge differences between last year? Isn't that why we should not be worried about FedEx and and U.S. Steel? I think, yes, that's why you shouldn't be worried. But you should be worried, because (laughs) at a certain point, these things should matter. I mean, it shouldn't be as easy as... The market goes higher because the Federal Reserve has our back. But I've said it maybe maybe it really is that simple. But at what point does that end, and at what consequence does that come with? And and again, I can't believe it can be that it can't be that easy. All right. Well, maybe the market didn't get exactly what it wanted from the Fed today, but yields and banks both shot higher after the decision to cut rates by 25 basis points, and that's exactly what our next guest said would happen when the biggest bubble ever finally burst in the bond market. So. Now what? BTIG Managing Director and Chief Equity and Derivative Strategist Julian Emanuel joins us here. Julian, it's always great to have you. Great to be here. So is this it? Bonds? It's over? Trade's over? Did we burst? We burst. We burst. If you you look back at August, going from 205 in the 10-year yield down to 145, and then you come in the day after Labor Day and get the very appropriate supply response with literally record corporate issuance, government issuing debt to finance the the, uh, the ballooning deficit. Um, and, you know, essentially the realization, if you look at these economic surprise indices, they are skyrocketing in the U.S. The data is better than everyone thinks it is. So from that perspective, yes, uh, we think the bubble has burst. Um, and we think that if you look at today, that's probably one of the single biggest factors that essentially a day which you know, we didn't think the Fed did quite as well as, as others might have today, um, that uh, stocks held their own and bonds held their own. People own too many bonds. Why do you think the Fed didn't do uh, as well as, as other people have said? Because, I mean, last Fed meeting was a disaster. I mean, oftentimes when he opens his mouth and he goes off off script, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just a recipe for a sell-off. And we've seen that many times. Well, he held the script, so that, that, that was good. He actually was reading off he the paper. He was reading for, off the paper, and, and, and that was good. But, but the point is, you know, the dots have taken out any even sort of like risk management sort of one-cut expectation. Um, you know, the market still believes there are going to be cuts. Uh, you know, and you raised your economic forecast for 2019 and 2020 when everyone else is taking their numbers down, which is surprising. And then on this whole issue of the repo and, and, and the funding and the liquidity of the last few days, it seemed a little too sort of trite to us to say, yeah, we recognize it's, it's an issue, but we'll be able to take care of it. And oh, by the way, 
it doesn't really matter to monetary policy and to the economy. And we would say, you know, tell that to friends of mine who know nothing about the financial markets and have gotten, you know, in their inboxes this thing about the repo the last couple of days, and they're calling me and asking me, what the heck is this? It matters with regard to confidence, and confidence is the thing that turns markets down when it turns down. So part of this money market problem that we had was because there was too much supply of debt out there, right? And so if the bond bubble has burst and the corporations are still issuing and the U.S. government is still issuing, when does that become a problem for stocks? Right now it seems like it's okay, but I imagine at some point you can't absorb all this debt and it becomes a problem for stocks. Well, again, if you go back to the last couple of years, it doesn't necessarily become a problem for stocks until you get substantially higher in terms of yields. The stresses that we've seen were sort of really much closer to 3% than, you know, one and three quarters percent on the 10-year yield where we are now. I think, again, it's much more a function of, you know, the market is expecting a deal of some sort. The market is expecting some sort of, you know, reasonably neat resolution to Brexit. Iran, you know, we've already sort of shrugged it off the last couple of days. You look at the energy market. Sometimes all those things aren't necessarily going to turn out perfectly, though we would say that looking into an election year, uh, you know, politicians incumbent, whether in the White House or anywhere else, are going to ensure that there isn't a recession. So a bursting of the of the bond bubble is not a problem for stocks. It's not a problem in terms of yields going higher until we're more like 3%, which we're far off from right now. Right. So, so what does this all mean for your view on equities? So uh, our view is if, if you look at 2019, it's been very interesting in that the underperformance of small caps relative to large caps have literally followed 10-year yields tick for tick. Essentially, small caps being, you know, sort of less liquid on balance and the place where people fear recession, small caps are going to lead the equity market higher uh, in the fourth quarter. They also tend to seasonally as well. Um, look, our, our price target is, is where it is, basically 3000 So from our point of view, the trading range hasn't broken either way. We don't necessarily think it's going to in, in the immediate term. Um, but small caps have been under-owned, under-loved, just like financials, just like energy, and they will eventually lead the broader indices higher. So, Julian, you touched on it in the beginning. When you look at the balance sheet, and it snuck up on everybody when we had quantitative tightening, and they didn't realize it was basically raising at every meeting. Now, when you have another QE round or using that balance sheet, is that just throwing in the white flag that it's all over and we are 17% of GDP on that balance sheet? Well, it, look, the rules have been rewritten over the last several years. And, you know, like it or not, central banks are, you know, perhaps an uncomfortable, you know, player in the financial markets. But, you know, we haven't had an accident yet. And the assumption is, is that we will continue to potentially not have an accident. That's certainly what the market's saying. And the way we look at it, if anything, the last several weeks have been good because the ECB and now the Fed are telling you that there need to be other ways of keeping the economy moving forward, whether it's fiscal stimulus from Germany or resolving the trade war. The message today was fix the trade war, in our view. All right. Julian, thank you so much. Julian Emanuel of BTIG. Uh, quickly on small caps. IWM, we talked about the line in the sand being 145. It held spot on and it's rallied now. I think it's 156. Close lower today. Not a big deal. I think, again, small caps have led. The fact that they haven't made 
a new high, despite the fact the S&P is effectively there, is concerning. But again, you know, I've tried to bring up the bear case on dozens of different ways, and none of them seem to hold water. So if you look at what has rallied, what rallied above where it was before Fed, I think the most impressive are semis, uh, and also look at banks. I mean, banks responded, and so we talked a bit about that. The cyclicality in here, uh, I, I think, is very important. Semis, which people have been trying to, 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 to push down and say that they can't make new highs, I think that is probably the most extraordinary move today. I love the call on the small caps, particularly for two reasons. One, because they tend to have a lot of regional banks, which do much better when you get a steeple yield curve, which looks like maybe we're going to try to get something like that. And secondarily, they're undercovered and underloved because of a lot of things that have been going on with research on Wall Street. So you get this kind of whipsaw effect in it. So I like that a lot. All right. Coming up, home builders looking pretty sturdy over the last month. But with today's rate cut, what does the outlook look like? We'll find out. Plus, J.P. Morgan's top fixed income strategist says brace yourselves because more rate cuts are coming this year. He'll tell us what that means for the markets. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Welcome back to Fast Money. AT&T shares are rising in the after recession. Julia Borson's got the latest this developing story. Julia. Well, listen, Dow Jones reporting that AT&T is exploring parting with its direct TV unit, considering options including a potential spinoff or a combination with DISH. Now, you see AT&T shares up about one and a third percent after hours. And we reached out to AT&T. They gave us a no comment, but it's worth noting that Elliott Management had demanded that AT&T sell DirecTV. AT&T CEO Randall Stevenson speaking today at the Council on Foreign Relations, saying that the letter from Elliott Management laid out some recommendations that seemed supportive of his current strategy and that they also made some good points and that AT&T plans to engage with Elliott on their recommendations. So this would fit into um, the sense of a dialogue with uh, with Elliott on what they're interested in them pursuing. I want to note also that DISH shares are up on this report. Melissa, back over to you. Okay, Julia, thank you very much. Julia Borson in Los Angeles. Again, AT&T shares are up by one and a third percent. You're a holder, right? Long AT&T. Uh, I'm very excited to have Elliot around. Uh, I think the issue was, uh, yes, some of the parts is, is clearly one way to value this company. It's also the fact that it's been kind of boys town on the inside. So the acknowledgement alone of Elliot has already paid some dividends, and I think there's more to come. Yeah, I mean, is this an acknowledgement that 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 acquisition was a failed or? I don't think yet. Sorry, I think I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah. I don't think that was a good. Bit off more than yeah, I think it's. But that's okay. I mean, you make mistakes. Sure. You, you own, and I think the market's giving them a pass. I also think, and Randall Stevenson, great CEO, but I also think his time is probably you know he's probably within the last six months of his tenure as CEO, which I think the market which could might be a take catalyst as positive. As well. As well. So, you know, Tim's been on this since it was, you know, 29 and a half, 30. The concern with AT&T was the balance sheet problem, debt problems. Mm-hmm. Those concerns seem to be going away. And if you just look at it at face value, it's a cheap stock. Plus, you have a five and a half percent yield. And in a world where we're looking at rates going lower, this has been attractive. So obviously the activist is there. But think about T-Mobile and Sprint. On the other side of it, you have a deal that's there that's attractive, too. You don't get the yield on either of those. So that's why people run in here. Yeah. I mean, Elliot's point was that I mean, if you compare it to Verizon, for instance, 
it had been underperforming Verizon. So yep. in this yield sort of focused world that we live in, mm-hmm. would you rather? Oh, I love how she did that. Right. I mean, just snuck okay. that in. Verizon, which would be more of a pure play telecom, or right. AT&T, which is now a hybrid. So, I mean, I don't know how you compare that's them, a great, right? But, that's a great question. It's not, it's not apples to apples in this case. I, I, I'll tell you, I, this is what I would say, is I would actually sell AT&T on this news. Oh. We're up 29% for the year. This is there. probably the move that you were looking for. Elliot's in there agitating. Something's getting done. You probably sell this. He didn't news. say buy Verizon. He didn't answer the question. No. He didn't play the game. No. What do you mean I didn't play the he game? He didn't play the game. And I hate to I call him an out answer. on it. But no, I, I gave an answer. I, I mean, well, how did I not yeah, play the game? I think you played I'm going to let that go. You yes, didn't say I would I rather. I will let that go. Well, there were no go. graphics. If there were graphics, there then I'd play the game. Oh, I would expect Guy to need graphics. No, I need graphics. But it's like when you say something to somebody and they say, I don't disagree with you. It's very similar to what BK just said. He's not agreeing. He's not, not right, exactly. Right. He's so not embracing he's, it. Right. But, to Tim's but point, he's not okay. really right. playing. Call the pivot. Call a pivot, call a pivot. pivot. pivot or We're spin. We're going to pivot away from Sorry, the whole conversation. Um, Microsoft shares, they are up about a percent and a third in the extended hour session. The company approving a new $40 billion buyback and boosting its quarterly dividend. Wow, Guy. Yeah, listen, I mean, the concern here, there are no concerns. I mean, they've moved to the right businesses. Their valuation is changing with it. There's a, it is a growth story, believe it or not. But at a certain point, valuation matters. And $40 billion on a surface is a monster number. But when you're a trillion-dollar market cap, it's not as big as it first looks when you see the headline. It's good, but let's not get carried away here. $40 billion to Microsoft is a lot different than $40 billion to a Beyond Meat, let's say. Mm. The stock has performed Good rather point. well up until this point. I, I would think that it's going to perform here, here to forward rather well as well. And you have the cloud income. It's $40 billion in cloud. That's going to be growing. I, you have to look at 150 This has been a problem area. I own the stock. This has been a problem area for the name. 140 to 143 has to break out in order for this to be viable here. I, I, you know, Microsoft is re-rated. I, I have a tough time seeing it re-rate further. And, and I think there's an enormous amount of pressure in the cloud. I, I would say Google and Microsoft are these multi-cloud platforms that really are the ones that are leading right now, but pricing across the board uh, is going to be an issue, even though uh, the enterprise and the, the combination of them being able to hold people within their network has been proven to be strong. It's an annuity business, uh, well-priced. Or is this more of a defensive play? And I, so I think there is okay. a risk. Prime well, again. Prime I, again. I think I there's a risk that this is that this is a defensive play. I think there's a he risk that this is a defensive play. Prime disagree. again. Prime exactly. again. Exactly. <laughs> So I would rather Verizon. No, I'm just, uh, so I, on this, I, I think what you have to do is you have to wait for this to prove it to you. The problem you have here is it's performed so well already. So you're not Lewis and Clark. You're not discovering new country here. So you have to wait for a breakout. This might be the catalyst, but show me. Hmm. Lewis and Clark. Good yeah. for him. Was Second Jawea with Lewis and Clark? How about so, Davy Crockett? I feel like I like it. Do you have one of those hats? I, I, I don't think so. Davy Crockett from Tennessee anyway. or is that Daniel Boone? Yep. We digress. <laughs> Just it's no been idea. a big month for housing stocks, home builders, KB Home, Toll Brothers, Lennar, Pulte, all rising in the last month, driving an 8% move in the ITB home construction ETF. Lower interest rates, usually good for builders. So what is next for some of these names? Grasso, you're in uh, which one? So I'm in Lennar still. Right. So, but, but if you look at these things, these things have performed already. Lennar is up 68% year to date. So this isn't a new, uh, a new stage that we're seeing here. These guys have performed year to date. I think that they're going to continue to perform. This was a chase of lower interest rates. But when you start to see that multifamily just increasing by, by exponential percentages, 
I think that you could see this trade last a little bit longer. Well, if Mr. Julian Emanuel is right and the biggest yeah, bubble ever has right. burst, then what? Yeah, again, if you wanted to overlay charts, uh, overlay the rate chart against what, what the home builders did, the sensitivity there. I, if you're going to play rates um, and play the home builders, I should say, the housing sector. I, I would rather play Home Depot. I'd rather play the, the home improvement space. I think the duopoly with Lowe's is something that continues on. And we've seen those stocks outperform in lower rate environments. That was Ford. a self, would you rather, by the way? This tonight is wow. something. Wow. 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 So many different wow. things. Wow. $40 was basically the high in Toll Brothers, I think, back in April. Bounced up against it now. The stock went from 34.5 to 40 and seemingly overnight. So maybe that's gotten ahead of itself. I think in terms of a name like Toll, I think you take profits, look for it to pull back, back down to 35. So I do agree with Guy, and I think you got to take profits on this. To me, this is a rates play. If you think that rates are going higher, then why would you be in this? You've, you've made your money on this. Move on to something else. Move it into why something else. Why are they going higher, though? If they're going higher for the right reason. I didn't say they were. I'm saying if you but, think but you But I'm are. saying that right. this is sort of that win-win trade as well, because they're going lower near term, so that's a tailwind. And if they go higher, it's because the economy is doing better. Win-win trade makes me nervous, Guy, yeah. doesn't it? Yes, Tim. What when I say wrong? limestone, Tennessee, what is that? What, is, what do you think? Uh, do you think we're, right. we're on the air still? Yeah, we're not you really, you're having this conversation. We're doing it in the commercial. All is privy to this conversation. Davy Crockett. All right. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. Here's what else is coming up on the show. Roku routed? The stock plunging today. We'll look at the latest salvo in the streaming wars. Plus, a majority of CFOs and fund managers see a big economic slowdown coming soon. We'll find the best recession-resistant stocks when Fast Money returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. The Fed may only be halfway through its 2019 round of cuts. JP Morgan Asset Management is predicting two more. Bob Michaels, the head of global fixed income at the firm. Welcome to you, Bob. Good to see you again. Um, so this... You know, according to what the Fed said, it sounded like it would probably be one more rate cut this year. But you're actually thinking more. What what prompts them to do more? Well, I think there are a couple things. Mm -hmm. One, they didn't close the door to anything. They've been cutting rates twice. The economy looks okay optically, but they've always talked about the spillover from the trade war, maybe from manufacturing into services. We haven't seen any reversal of anything on the trade front. If anything, you're seeing an escalation starting to pass through. So we think they're going to have to come back in October and in December and cut rates another 25 basis points each time. Each time. So do you think that um, we're headed for a recession at this point, even though the Fed was very, was pretty measured and pretty actually rosy about their outlook for the economy? Well, the yield curve's inverted. 
which tells you that they're following the curve. And when you listen to the Fed and Powell and they talk about their data dependent, sure, we can look at the de- at the data. It tells us what happened last month, last quarter. It doesn't tell you where we're headed over the next quarter and the next year. And I think until you see something on the fiscal side, either some form of stimulus or you see a rollback on the tariffs, and some de-escalation of trade, we're definitely on this road to recession. And, Bob, you, look, you, you're dead right. And if you look at the trend of going over four decades, it's working towards your trade here. But if I listen to the Fed today, the one thing that did sound relatively dovish was that he, he refers to the 12-month rate of inflation. Um, and the Fed, obviously, is, is at times leaned on inflation to push their hawk, excuse me, their dovish argument, when, in fact, the last four months on inflation have been quite hot. Um, so do you think inflation is this place for the Fed to hide out and actually give more easing than the market even expects? I think it's a mistake. I think there's a one-time surge here from energy prices. But if you look at core inflation and you look at the trend, it's definitely coming down. I don't think that the threat of an inflation surge is their concern. That shouldn't be holding them off on cutting rates. Their concern should be a recession could be coming fast unless something happens on the fiscal side. Bob, I know you're a fixed income guy, and I've been trying to make some bear case in equities for a while now. It doesn't seem to work. And then we talked about FedEx, U.S. Steel, all the things going on. At what point from where you are, 30,000 feet, does this affect the equity market? Well, we see it in credit, right? Because By our calculation, credit spreads look pretty good. They're near their tights. So bond yields have fallen across the board, particularly government bond yields. And everyone wants to say that's because the market thinks recession is around the corner, yet you're not seeing it in credit spreads. And that's telling you that until you see recession and until earnings start to go down, until you start to see dividend cuts and default rates go up, People are going to scramble to pick up yield, and greed will replace fear. And I think that's what we're seeing currently. All right. Uh, Bob, great to see you. Thank you so much for your time. Bob Michael, J.P. Morgan. Well, I think it's interesting because Bob is got a front row seat to this, right? And so we had somebody on saying the bond market has the bond bubble has burst, and Bob is saying, "Hey, wait a second! You know, we're not necessarily seeing that. The things you have to look for are what Bob said was the fiscal stimulus coming into an election year. Is there going to be fiscal stimulus? To me, that's kind of the game changing." element in this here. But in the meantime, you can still have a stock market that rallies to new highs and people get it wrong. People get Q4 earnings wrong, that they're going to be, you know, people think, oh, they'll dismiss them. You can get, and that would be very typical of a late cycle blow off top. That wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. So, and we also often say on this show that the bond market is always smarter and certainly the credit markets are the greatest read. And Guy asked the impact on what he think this all means for, for equity. So when I look at the S&P dividend yield minus the triple B credit spread, um, it's at wides of 60 years. We, we haven't been this wide in a long time. That is very, very equity positive. So in other words, it's telling you a tale of where rates are, are much lower uh, and earnings yields are much higher. You should go buy equities. So the, the other reach for yield has been in the chemical space, in the packaging space where everyone has thrown those out. But names that have done well and, and sectors that have done well are your utilities. They're up over 20% year to date. They continuously perform and staples. And everyone's talking about valuation. Mm-hmm. No one cares about valuation when you're hunting for yield. No one cares about valuation when you're looking for defense. <clears throat> and both of those things have proven that. All right, Coming up, recession fears gripping companies and investors alike. But our traders have a few stocks that they say could be recession proof. They'll give us the names 
The shares of FedEx tanking having their worst day in over 10 years. One options trader will tell you how he is managing his trade. Much more Fast Money right after this. Take a look at shares of U.S. Steel under pressure after hours. The company issuing a warning on third quarter results, citing a larger than expected drop in metal prices and deteriorating market conditions in Europe that will result in significant margin compression. Guy, you're citing this. Should we be more concerned overall about the signal that it's sending? I think so. Absolutely. But then you look at it and say, wait a second. FedEx topped out, made an all-time high almost two years ago. I mean, it's going from basically 275 to current levels. The S&P doesn't care. The market doesn't seem to think it's a barometer for anything. I think what they're saying is this is a very FedEx-specific thing. Amazon's going away. It has no bearing on broader economies. Maybe the market's right. I don't know. I don't think that's the case. But in terms of how to trade it, and I think we've been pretty steadfast, I think this is headed back to the lows we saw in 2016 or so, which is about, give or take, 128. And then we can start talking about it on valuation. So tomorrow, are we going to walk in and see any sort of spillover effect, or is this going to be viewed no. as an idiosyncratic story? I think the market looks through this. Whether, whether it, that's the right thing to do or not, I think the market <laughs> looks through this. I think they're going to look at it very similar to FedEx. Okay, this was a trade war casualty type of stock, and if we're going to get any movement on that, you don't have to worry about this signal. I, I, simply, I, I think U.S. Steel has a very levered balance sheet that is extremely sensitive to steel prices, and when they start talking about a slowdown in Europe, it's a big issue. Um, this is a company that's down 70 cents. 70% roughly since the trade war started. This is a stock also. It, it's down 31% year to date, but it just popped in the last month, 36%. So you're talking about these lower levels where there doesn't have to be a whole heck of a lot to go right to have this thing rip higher. So granted, the news are headwinds. And to BK's point, nobody understands the trade war stuff. Right. No one understands what the outcome is going to look like. No one understands what the true ramifications. I put this in the bucket of Brexit. Brexit everyone cared about, and then no one cared about, because no one understands what the particulars and the specifics are going to be. That's what's happening with every trade war stock, with every metal stock, with every mining stock. All of these names are susceptible to a huge pop on not-so-great news. All right, let's move on here. The market's ending mix after today's rate cut, but that doesn't mean that fears of a recession have been erased. Bob Pisani is at the NYSC with more. Bob. Melissa, despite the recent spate of stronger economic data we've seen in the U.S., pessimism is still high and it appears to be growing. The latest quarterly Duke University survey of CFOs shows that out of 225 CFOs, a majority, 53 percent, believe that the country will be in a recession by the end of the third quarter next year. 67 percent say we'll be in a recession by the end of next year, by the fourth quarter. The results align with a similarly glum outlook from the monthly Bank of America Merrill Lynch Global Fund Manager survey that was out on Tuesday. That survey, more than 100 global fund managers, found that roughly 40 percent expect a recession next year as well. That's the highest since August of 2009. Fund managers continue to expect low growth and low rates, and they think central bank stimulus will continue to be needed. So why all this pessimism? You can blame it on extreme global growth uncertainty, but trade wars are only a part of that equation. CFOs are also worried about Germany, one of the largest economies in the world, having flat or even negative growth. Plus, there's fears of a broader slowdown in China. They seem to be saying that a strong U.S. by itself may not be enough to save the day. It's just not clear right now what part of the world economy is strong enough to pull the rest of the world along with it, even the U.S. FedEx, by the way, echoed those concerns after missing on earnings and cutting guidance for the rest of the year. They cited U.S.-China trade tensions, policy uncertainty, 
and an overall slowdown in the global economy. Back to you, Melissa. All right. Thank you, Bob. So are there any stocks that uh, could be recession proof if that's what you think is going to come. Um, Guy, I'll start with you because maybe you're the closest to that thinking on this desk. Well, I'm the closest to the thing in terms of bear market. Recession, yeah. I, think, I think the stock market itself causes a recession. That's another story. But in terms of recession proof, I do think there are. And if you look at the performance of McDonald's in good times and bad times, McDonald's wins to this, especially now that they're more technologically savvy than they were a decade ago when I used to go get my cheeseburgers and quarter pounders. So I think if you're looking for a recession proof name, MCD will get you done. Has here. it been that long since you've had a quarter pounder? Yeah, it does terrible things to me. So, well, yes. Get that. Mm. Tim. Yeah, um, so we talked about AT&T. Uh, I won't echo that. I'll just state that one. And then I would talk about Coca-Cola, and I would even talk about Constellation Brands. Certainly, their core businesses are very recession-proof. Um, I think both companies are actually on a margin upswing. Coca-Cola has essentially refranchised, uh, taken care of their bottling business, has actually moved into higher-margin uh, drinks and away from the carbonated soft drink world. So, uh, like Coca-Cola, I know people push back on the valuation, but in a recession, these are the stocks that outperform. In a recession, do we care about valuation? No. In a recession, everything's going to go down. But I think the recession trade's over. I think, I, for now. I think that's, the recession trade has been the last six or eight months. And what you've seen over the last week or so is people rotating out of the recession trades into the cyclical trade. So I think you've got to be very careful with these names because that trade's done. So, but for the purpose of our game, this is a recession-proof stock. So I'm going to go with utilities. BK is really doing really well with the game tonight. Listen, when everybody's on one side of the boat, BK goes to the other side. What I love is the fact that the the compliance has been awful on the show tonight, but actually the compliance... Hawks have been everywhere. We've all, all time, been busting each other and turning but each I other in. Gold has been mentioned. GDX gave uh-huh. up about 10% of its year-to-date performance. It's up 33% year-to-date. I do think that you'll see gold rally and gold miners outperform about 3 to 1, the actual metal. And I'll stick with the XLUs, the utility sector ETF as well. I'm actually surprised you didn't say something like a gold or even like the dollar. Yeah, but I think those could do well without a recession. He doesn't too, disagree right? with you. I don't disagree with you. I would rather, I would rather buy the dollar. I guess. But at its core, what you're saying is very bullish. I mean, you're, well, you're basically saying right. recession, I, I, recession stocks are toast. The, the bear so, suit is not zipping up in the back right, anymore. Yeah, but let I mean, me be clear. I'm, I mean, right. But let me be clear. I'm reading what the market's telling me, right? Whether or not it's my internal opinion, I want to be as bearish as anybody. But if the market is going to rotate. Out of these recession names, which have done extraordinarily over the last six months. Again, I'm not Lewis and Clark. I'm not discovering that there's a recession around the corner, and I'm the first guy there, right? So now all of a sudden, the market's telling me, get into cyclical. Hey, Columbus, well, I listen. Columbus, put a bow on it. Baby Crockett. <laughs> you know, Steve mentioned utilities. I mean, you think about it, it makes sense. If there was a recession, you would think rates are going to continue to go lower. Low interest rate and volume, uh, right. in, environment, Con Edison, I think it made an all-time high today. People say, well, valuation is stretched. Yeah, you know what? Market doesn't seem to care. So I think Steve's on to something with utilities, specifically ED. All right. Coming up, check out shares of FedEx having its worst day of the year after the company failed to deliver on its earnings report this week. Options traders are betting the fallout is just getting started. Plus, Roku shares getting rocked today as competition in the streaming space heats up. We will break down those headlines. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this. Delivering Alpha, the most important investor summit, nine years running. Strategy from leading alpha generators. Direct access to policymakers and government leaders. On September 19th, see who's calling the shots now. 
go to DeliveringAlpha.com to attend this year's Blockbuster event. You will come away with ideas that you can put to work immediately. Plus, special guest Vice President Mike Pence talks economy and trade war impact. Reserve your spot now at DeliveringAlpha.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's been a horrible, no good, no, very bad day for FedEx. Down nearly 13% after falling, uh, failing to deliver on last night's earnings report. And then came the downgrade. Stiefel, BMO, Deutsche Bank, KeyBank all bailing on FedEx today after the company blamed its poor report on Amazon, trade issues, and foreign businesses. And the options market sounded off on the stock, too. Mike Coe's in San Francisco with the action. Mike. Yeah, so it wasn't just a bad day for Federal Express. It was obviously a bad day for people at positions at FedEx. I was one of those. Um, and we saw well over 10 times the average daily options volume today. The most active options were the September 150 puts. Those expire this coming Friday. By early morning, about 10,000 of those had traded for about two and a quarter. So buyers of those puts were betting that the stock was going to decline below that 150 strike price by the end of the week by at least the two and a quarter that they paid. In fact, it actually declined below that 150 strike price later this this morning as it got down to about 148 and a half low before closing around 152 and a half, I think. And, you know, I took about 80 percent of my FedEx options position off today. I had the 160, 180 and 200 strikes on. And, you know, I think it's probably an advisable thing for most people who have positions in this to try to reevaluate it. And you were saying that this was the worst trading day of the year. I think it was actually the worst earnings, one-day earnings result uh, that they've seen since the credit crisis. I think December 2008, when they were doing their second quarter 2009 results, we saw something like this. But we haven't seen anything uh, like it since then. So this was definitely out of left field, I think, from the options market's perspective. But people are lining up for more volatility ahead. Um, Tim, just quickly, are you a holder? I am. Yeah. So what do you do? I tell you what, I think this is more cyclical than structural, and, and they've been guiding lower for the last five quarters based upon the demand versus the supply of air, air freight volumes. All right. Uh, thanks for that, Mike. For more options action, tune into our live show this Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time Plus. Take a look at the Kramer cam. Jim is weighing in on today's big Fed decision, what it could mean for the markets. That's coming up top of the hour on Mad Money. We're live with the Nasdaq in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Streaming wars heating up once again, This, but this time it's all about the hardware. Just check out shares of Roku getting rocked today after our parent company, Comcast, announced subscribers of its Internet-only plan will now receive a free Xfinity Flex streaming box. The device currently runs users 5 bucks a month. This as Facebook also enters the streaming space, announcing a new portal TV device equipped with a microphone and camera, allowing its users to make video calls as well as stream content from Amazon Prime, Stars, and many other media players. So is there any clear winner in the streaming space, or are there too many cooks here in the kitchen? Too much competition, Guy. Are there any clear winners? Well, it looks like Disney sort of, and it pains me to say it, but Disney's held in there remarkably well ever since, you know, the stock was mired at 120 seemingly forever, and it really hasn't given much back since that huge move to the upside. So maybe Disney is emerging as the winner. I'll say this about Roku. You know, I thought when it was 140, it was headed to 200, got close. Now you have to ask yourself, is this a broken story? I'll say this. It was a $25 stock this time last year, traded up to 175 The logical place for it to trade down and hold, as it turns out, is 100 bucks. But to answer your original question, I think Disney is emerging as the victor here. It's funny because when Roku went public, the knock on this was that it was just sort of a, a distributor, a platform, and that it would get disintermediated. It took this long, but mm-hmm. is this the moment? 
Uh, look, it's very clear that the valuation is difficult to justify. Um, if you look at the chart, it looks like it could go to 100, no problem. Uh, I, I think the more important thing to talk about here is Netflix. I, I think Netflix on a day like this with these types of announcements had another bad day. Now it's trying to hold on to this 285 to 295 level. Um, but if you look at that chart, but more importantly, just again, where people are valuing. Uh, Disney's multiple is certainly coming up to meet a Netflix. But uh, when you think about pure content, when you think about a diversified business, Disney makes a lot more sense. I, I think that the knock on Netflix is not that they're not executing. The knock on Netflix is that people don't think this multiple makes sense anymore. And that makes sense. You know what nobody even thought about was Apple. Like when, you, when you think about Apple, Apple has there's No one thinks about Apple as a streaming player or a, mm-hmm. or a valid streaming player. And maybe that's not the case now. Well, last week with the announcement, everybody did. Yeah, the Apple well, Plus. I don't, I, don't they, I don't know if they, if, they, if they really gave it any type of credibility where well, they're saying it's another, another lever. But it was discussed in that it's going to be loaded onto 50, you know, a billion and a half For phones and the installed yeah. bases. So, in other words, truly taking on Roku, if anybody, you know, a piece of hardware, even right. though it's software and, you know, et cetera. But I, I do think that helped Apple. And I think supporting yeah, I Apple think right that's now. The, that's the one you play against that. Roku up over 300 percent. That one has targets all over the name. It seems to me if you're a content producer, that's the winner. I mean, look at what Netflix did with Seinfeld. So if I had to buy anything, I'd be buying vintage Porsches because I think Jerry's in the market. Vintage Porsche. Well, he likes Porsches, right? I mean, oh. but that's that's the play here, right? Everybody's playing. Everybody's paying so much money for content. Yeah. You're better off being a content producer. All right. Up next, final trade. Welcome back. Quick programming note: NBA legend Kobe Bryant joins Squawk on the Street tomorrow for an exclusive interview on his latest investment ventures. That is tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern time. All right, time for the final trade. Tim Seymour. So with or without dish discussions, back to AT&T, whether it's recession-proof, whether it's some of the parts, whether it's activism, whether it's the yield, I like it. BK, Brian Kelly. So I'll tell you what, if you think there's a good, that we're going to have this rotation in the cyclicals, you want to buy the rails, not B&O, not Reading, not Shortline, but Norfolk Southern. Nice. Those are Monopoly railways, by the way. Um, Ulta Beauty got demolished, down 35%. I bought it on the dip. It's uh, finding a base in here. Do not let it get below 224. It's got to hold that level. I'm in it. I'm playing it for about a 15% move to the upside. Mel, there's a little chill in the air. You know what that means? I know hockey season is here. The Rangers are actually playing down the street, Tim, as you know. World's most famous number. Good prasm numbers from JetBlue, JBL. What's that have to do with... Nothing. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5. More Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.